don't just willy-nilly go tag and hashtag because you think that's going to be really advantageous for you. Yeah. It might be. You might gain lots of followers. Yeah. But you might also be in someone else's world under their own made up rules on their website, they mm. might think that they now have permission to go and profit from whatever you just associated with that hashtag. And that's not really fair. So yeah. think about it and read what they say and think about whether or not you really want to use a particular hashtag or tag a particular brand. This is your host, Dhyutama, but you can call me DJ. <laughs> and I love to inspire food photographers to dream. I spent 15 years as an architect studying buildings and constructing hospitals before taking the biggest leap of faith of my life, which was setting up a food styling and food photography business right from scratch. If you're a dreamer like me, wanting to start a new photography business, or grow your existing food photography business, jump right into a world where I share practical, actionable strategies to improve your photography skills, to work with clients, make more money, or with a fearless mindset. This is the My Food Lens Podcast, and we take you one step closer to your dreams. So let's go. So today we are talking to Rob Finkelstein. He is such an interesting person because he has this very mystical world. He comes from a world where food and law come together. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He's been a lawyer for 20 years. And in the middle of that, he went to learn pastry making. He loves baking pastries. So he went to pastry school. And then right after that, he started a food blog. And then right after that, he learned food photography. And then right after that, he started working with a few brands as a food photographer, as a recipe developer. And today, he's brought both his worlds together. And he's actually working as a lawyer for food photographers. How cool is that? I thought that was fantastically interesting. I thought that he had such good and in-depth knowledge of both the fields that he's so suited to do what he's doing. And I think he's coming up with a course for food photographers where they can create their own contracts by having the right knowledge. So anyway, I just wanted to have Rob on our show today so that he can really educate us on everything about contracts, everything about the legal part of running a food photography business. Because hello, we are a business. If we are getting hired, we're getting paid, we are engaging with a client, we need to protect ourselves, right? And we need to know how to do it the right way and how to do it professionally. And Rob is going to tell us exactly how to do that. All right. With that, on to Rob. Hi, Robin. Welcome to My Food Lens Podcast. My God, such a pleasure to have you. You have such an interesting career path. I mean, it's incredible. I think we should just start there. I think we just really need to talk about how a lawyer gets interested in pastry making and then gets into food blogging. It's incredible. So walk us through a little bit of your journey of how you've got this beautiful mix of food and law and you're rocking both worlds <laughs> amazingly. So tell us how that happened and where you are today. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to meet with you. I've been listening to your podcast for a while. So this is really a pleasure for me. 
So my full name's Rob Finkelstein. I am a lawyer. I've been practicing for over 20 years. In, I'm in the United States. I practice in the state of New York. Um, that's been my career, but I've always loved to bake. That's just been my passion since I was like in middle school. So I guess it was in 2013, a friend of mine and I started our own law firm. And about four years after that, I just like had this itch. I don't know if it was like the start of my midlife crisis or what, but I was like, I've got to go to culinary school. So I put myself through culinary school for pastry arts, which was insane. I mean, it was part-time, nine months, three days a week, five hours each class. And I was still running my law firm. Like it was craziness. But honestly, I don't regret a second of it. I loved every, every moment. It was amazing. Um, And then when I finished that, I was like, okay, now I've done that. I've really learned how to bake like the pros. And what do I do with that? And I didn't really want to stop being a lawyer. So I just kind of decided one day I'm going to start a blog. And honestly, I didn't even know what that meant. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I knew nothing about it. And I decided I'm just going to go for it. And I got it all going and I launched my first recipe. And the first thing I noticed was that my photography was atrocious. I mean, (laughs) I, I just didn't think about it. I didn't think, oh, that's something you need to do. So from then, three weeks later, the pandemic hit. And Mm. so like everyone else, I found myself at home. I had more time. I wasn't commuting. So I kind of dove into the blog and kept, you know, working on recipes and stuff. And then I just learned more and I saw there was food photography classes online. I took one and that was like, wow, that's amazing. And I had no idea how to like touch a camera. So that was how that all happened. And I mean, I would say I'm still very much a beginner food photographer. I just have not had the time to devote to it, given everything else I'm doing, but it's opened up a whole world of other opportunities, and it's really been amazing for me. So that's kind of how it all came together. And then about a year ago, I got connected with other food photographers, and I ended up meeting them. They needed contracts. They didn't understand contracts they were getting from clients. So I represented a large number of food photographers, both drafting contracts for them and helping them negotiate deals with their clients. And all of them said to me, there's nothing out there. There's no people who are Googling. There's no form. There's no nothing. So that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to teach an online class. I'm very anti-contract form or any legal form. I think it's just people buy these things online or get free ones. And I think it just is an invitation for trouble. And I'm very, I'm very against forms like that. I think there's something that is, there's a missing component to a form, which is education. You need to understand the words that are printed on the document. So that was kind of the drive behind me creating this class that I'm just coming out with now. I want food photographers to have a form to work from, but more importantly, I want them to understand it. I want them to know what all the words mean and how to use them to their advantage, how to advocate for themselves. So. That's what I'm working on now. And it's, it's like I'm in a pre-launch right now. It's, it's getting out there. Oh, wow. It sounds interesting and important. Very important. <laughs> but I think for me, what's interesting is that you actually tapped into a gap that you found. You know, you were talking and you really put two of your talents together, you know, two of your skills together. So just having a little bit of like, you know, just having started your food photography journey you had a good idea because I think you also work with a few clients as a food blogger. Am I right to say that? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So you you kind of understood that side of the market as well. So you could put your law knowledge into, hey, that's not good. That's where they need to pay attention to. And then you talk to the community 
and you've got so many inputs. I mean, that's amazing. I'm pretty certain that that course must be pretty robust. So let's, Rob, can you share with us, like, where did this idea hit you the first time? Like, okay, that's something I need to pay attention to. Was there a conversation with a friend? Was there something that someone said? Just that spark, where did it start? Well, actually, when I think back to it, I think it's before I even started meeting other food photographers. Very early on in my path here, once I started my blog and getting out there, I had a brand reach out to me like six months into my blog being out there, which I was shocked. I was like, really? You want to work with me? Okay. So I was really excited. It was amazing. They were a great client for me. Um, I worked with them several times. But when they first sent me their contract, I looked at it and I was like, what is this? And I marked it all up like as if I, you know, was a lawyer representing one of the sides because it was gobbledygook what they gave me. It was incomprehensible. It made no sense. And so I took a step back and I said, okay, I'm not anyone's lawyer here. Let's like tone this down. Right. right. (laughs) And I just picked like the the top three main issues and I, I redlined those and I sent it back to them. They had no issue with it. And they actually told me subsequently that they now use my form. Oh, wow. And that's when I was like, <laughs> okay, like on the client side, like the brand side and, and whatnot, they don't even have a form to work with. And so that was very eye-opening to me. Mm-hmm. And then as I met food photographers, just through like food photography groups and whatnot, really on Facebook, that's how I picked up a bunch of clients. And all of them said to me, oh my God, there's such a need for this. And I was like, yeah. at first I dismissed it. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. I'm not going to do an online class. And but by the time like the third or fourth person mentioned it, I'm like, okay, people seem to really want this. And I know there's nothing out there. So let me dive in and, and tackle that. That's kind of just how it started. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, so we're going to get all into you know the, the nitty gritty of what goes into a contract. But let's just start with why should a food photographer even have a contract? What is the importance? Tell us that. So I'm actually going to answer that from a broader spectrum and not limited to food photographers, because here's the thing. From my perspective, anyone in business should have a contract, Mm. period. Mm. I cannot think of an exception. You know, it gets so frustrating for me as a lawyer when I have people come to me with a, there's a dispute with their client. They don't know what to do and this and that. Oh, well, what does the contract say? Oh, we didn't have a contract. Wow. What? Mm. That's mind boggling to me. So Mm -hmm. any sort, like anyone listening to this who happens to be in any business, I'm just telling you, get a contract. You should have a contract. Um, For food photographers specifically, I think it's really, really important because you're a creator, you're creating images that, and this is really just, you know, I'm talking from United States law here generally, but there are a host of other countries that agree with this about copyright. Mm. You're a creator. And once you take that photograph, there's copyright protection. You own those images as a matter of law. And if there's something in a contract that says otherwise, that's something you've got to talk about and negotiate. And if there is no contract, well, then What's your client getting? What are the usage rights? What can they do with it? How are they getting paid? How long can they use it? Where can they use it? It's so important to spell it all out because without spelling it out, you're inviting trouble. And by trouble, I mean lawsuits, which is expensive and timely and nasty, and you don't want to go there. Oh, wow. And if not lawsuits, then you are running into probably the issue of not getting paid, not getting credited, and your 
work being used where you don't approve of it being used and where you didn't sign up for. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And or, or being altered and and modified, mm. derivative works created from it. There's all kinds of issues. And I mean, for food photographers, I think that's the core issue and the main reason to have a contract. But there are so many other reasons. I mean, another reason, which is really for anyone, not just food photographers, especially given the environment we're in, we're in a global economy here. And I mean, your listeners are all over the place and they're getting work from clients in countries all over the world. And it's so important in a contract to specify if heaven forbid there's a dispute and you end up in some sort of lawsuit, which country's laws will apply? Mm. If that's not set out there, that is a whole other sideshow of litigation that can become very timely and very expensive. But you can nip that in the bud at the outset if you have one sentence in your contract that just says which countries or which state or what jurisdictions laws will apply. There's so many reasons to have a contract. I mean, the list is endless. Yeah, yeah. If you're being hired for a service, if you're getting paid for your service, you need to protect yourself. And I think the even if you're not being paid money, even if you're just being, you know, there are times, there are plenty of times food photographers, especially getting out. They'll agree to, to do something in exchange for product. Mm. You should still have a contract. I mean, mm. you still got to spell out, okay, you're getting this product. That's compensation. Fair enough. But what can your client use these images for? Where, when, how, why? It's all got to be spelled out. So tell me one thing. You said something very interesting earlier on. You said that you were working with a brand and that brand sent you their contract, right? So is that typical Or do usually food photographers have to present their side of the contract for the client to sign? How does that work? For me, it's been the brand giving me one that I look at and I just think is gobbledygook. For most of my clients, I think it's been 50-50. But the thing is, I think more often than not, they're using the brand's contract because I think too many food photographers either don't have a contract to present to their client or they just don't understand it. And that's a big problem. That's kind of why I'm, I'm, that's the impetus right. behind me getting this course out there. I mean, it's a big knowledge gap that's important because I think it can be much more advantageous for a food photographer to present a client with their contract. Not that their contract is going to be one-sided or anything, but hmm. as the owner of that document, you know what it says, you know what everything means. So it just makes life a little easier for you, ah. especially if they come back and they want to negotiate some terms. You know, it's your document. You know how it's set up. So it's just easier for you. Right. But if they give you a, if they give you a contract, that's, you know, you got to educate yourself. You got to know what all the words mean and how they all work together. And, you know, does paragraph three jive with paragraph eight? Those are right. just, you got to read it very carefully. And you always just ask if they have a contract or do they want you to send theirs, right? You just ask whatever works for them or or not. Well, it depends. Honestly, like that's not so much a legal issue. That's just business. And you kind of got to go with your gut. I mean, if you're working with a brand that has, you know, you know, they have a history of hiring food photographers and they they just automatically send you their contract. Okay, work with that. Yeah. But if it's a brand that doesn't have too much experience hiring a food photographer, mm. I would try to get my contract in there just because it makes your life a little easier. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter. A good contract should be well negotiated by both sides. There should be compromises going from both ends. So it, it really shouldn't matter. But it certainly would make your life a lot easier if you're working from your own. I love that. I love that. That's such a great point. Just make your life easier. 
And yeah, fantastic. So tell me, Rob, you mentioned one of the points to be included in food photography contract is location, like, you know, which laws apply. So tell us a few more of those meaty bits, share some of, you know, maybe the must have points that every food photography contract should have. I will tell you, there are so many points that should be in there, which is why everyone should have a contract. Um, I'll pick like the, my top three. Yeah, yeah. So one is the one we just talked about that, that which is in legalese, that's called choice of law, that which jurisdiction's law will apply in the event of a dispute. I think that's so important because I think it used to be less important before, you know, technology and when people were working more local. But nowadays, I mean, you're in Singapore. If you're doing work for a company in the US, like a big sugar company or something, that needs to get resolved yeah. before anything. I mean, that it really, because that kind of litigation can just get so expensive and it's, it's not worth it. And it should be something that's not, it shouldn't be a fight with the other side because mm. it's so, it yeah. benefits both parties to know which jurisdiction's law. And, you know, you always try and get yours. So you would, you would try to get for Singapore. But if it ends up that the company is saying, no, 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 it has to be United States law or whatever state or, okay, it's not the end of the world. Because the truth is, if you can file a lawsuit, if they don't pay you, if there's nothing in the contract prohibiting you from filing in Singapore, the court in Singapore can apply United States law. It's ah. it's not the end of the world. Right. Um, but it's a, I think the most important thing is to set out which jurisdiction applies. Right. The next thing is ownership. Who is owning it? And I cannot stress it enough. I mean... You are a photographer. You have certain protections under the law, under copyright law. Take advantage of that. That's yours. Don't give it away. Um, I've seen brands try to push to own images yep, yep. For, like, for the cost of a license, really. And it's just like, whoa. The best advice I can give, though, is talk to the brand. Because I think sometimes you're dealing with a marketing person over there who may not totally know the lay of the land and how this all works. And mm -hmm. if you ask them, okay, well, why do you want to own the images? What do you think you're getting from that? And what they end up explaining nine times out of 10, I find, is that they're really asking for a license. Yeah, They just yeah. don't really know the difference. True, so true. So education is key. I think communication is key. And with those two things, I think it can be an easy negotiation no matter what you do. And to that, and the third thing I think that is critical is the license rights. The who, what, how, why can they use the images or, or video or reel or recipe or whatever you're creating? How can it be used and how are you going to get compensated for that? So, but the one thing I just want to, if I don't get to it later, I want to mm -hmm. say it now. Mm -hmm. I cannot think of a reason why a brand in food photography world would really need to own it. And as a food photographer, I just want to get in everyone's heads. Think about that. You own this as a matter of law. You don't need a contract to say that you own it. You already do. If you have a, something in a contract that says otherwise, you're giving away your rights. Listen, that's not to say that there couldn't be a legitimate reason for a brand to own the images at some point for whatever reason that they want. That's great. Get paid what you're worth. You're not licensing it anymore. They're going to own it. So show me the money. Yep, yep. I, that's that's like the most important thing I can say to absolutely. any food photographer. Oh, Don't wow. give away the store for free. Yes, absolutely. I'm so on that with you. So now that you've brought it up, Rob, I think there's also a little bit like not everybody is 100% clear 
on the difference between license and rights. So just, you know, very briefly, you can use an analogy if you would like. If you can just tell our audience what is the difference between these two, then that'll make things so much clearer. Right. So I, I think what you're asking is really the difference between license and ownership. They're both, mm-hmm. they're both different rights. Yep. So ownership is it's what it sounds right. like. You actually own it. A yep. license is getting permission to use it. And so the best analogy that I can think of is, and to just like really simplify it, there are differences and distinctions. Let me put that out there. But I think the best working analogy is you own a house and you rent it out. Renting is like licensing. Mm. So you're getting paid every month for someone to rent or sort of license out use of that house, but you own it. That's really the, the difference. So. Again, there are nuances yes, between licensing yes, and, yes. And, and renting, but think about it like that. Like if you, you know, own land, you're not going to give away, you're not going to transfer title of that land to someone else in exchange for one month's rent. I mean, that would just be stupid business. Mm. And that's kind of what I'm saying here about mm, copyright and licensing. Right. So copyright basically means that you as a photographer, do not have any ownership on it and you cannot use it in any capacity once it goes off to the client. Am I right? The copyright? The, the Yeah, the copyright. If you, if you give the ownership, the complete if, yes. ownership, then you as a photographer have no, own, like you don't own it in any capacity. You can never use it. Uh, it's just not your photo anymore. Well, it depends. Mm, because okay, you me. could... That it could be the case, say a client really is adamant, they want to own it for whatever reason, and you're a clue with it, and you agree on hopefully a large sum of money for that. Great. Good for everyone. Wonderful. Yeah. But there could be language in your contract that says that you still get to use it so that you might, they might license the rights back to you so Ah. that you can use the images. Maybe, you know, you want it just for your own portfolio for marketing purposes to put on your Instagram account. And you could spell it out that specifically and say, you have that perpetual use or you can use that for five years, whatever it's going to be. Um, wow. That could all okay. be spelled out in a contract. So yeah, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say anything's a definite there because it really depends on what you negotiate and what you put in the contract. So it means that if a brand does want ownership, there is a way that photographers can still use their photos. There is a way that they can still use it for their own portfolio, promotions, wherever they need. They just have to have it drafted correctly in the contract. <laughs> exactly. I mean, okay. listen, I, so just a couple of things about like one thing about a contract is and why it's, you know, we talked about why it's so important, but the other thing it is, and I know like a contract is like really, really boring to read. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I got to like pinch myself and slap my face when I'm reading a really (laughs) long one to like keep myself paying attention. I get it. But a good contract sets up the story. And it Mm. really like, if you look at it carefully, the way it's structured, a good contract anyway, it tells the story. There's an introduction of who the parties are. There are what are called recitals usually, which give a little bit of background, which gives some context. And you get into some of the business terms. Then you get into some of the more legal stuff. But it really is a roadmap for the relationship Mm. as to what the obligations are, what who's creating what, who's being paid what. And then there are mechanisms to deal with 
potential issues and disputes that might arise, whether or not it's between the two parties or some third party who's not part of the contract. Someone files a claim for some reason. Yeah. So a good contract has all this. It's it's thought out. It's strategic. And that's the same thing here. If you're going to sell the copyright, but you still want the license rights, think about that. Think about what what you would want to be able to use it for and what purposes and all that. And get detailed in the contract that you reserve the right to use it for blah, 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 blah. And there you mm-hmm. go. You have a mm-hmm. you have a, a way to keep using it. You've spoken like a food photographer. You've brought storytelling into a legal contract. I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's, it can be an impossible <laughs> thing to do, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's amazing. So Rob, tell me. So, you know, and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong here. So Usually a contract comes just a little later when you are, you know, when you're talking to a brand, you've kind of, you've both set that, okay, we're going to go ahead, we're going to hire you, you know, and then you get into the contract. But before that happens, oftentimes photographers need to send out a proposal. You have your fee, you have uh, some of your important terms and conditions in it. So how is a proposal different from a contract in terms of the terms that you would just put out upfront versus something that comes in much later in detail in a contract? So just walk us through that a little bit. It, it, it really depends. I mean, there are so many different ways of doing this. Um, my opinion for a proposal is to keep it bare bones. I don't put in any sort of legalese, no obligations, no nothing. All that I think should be included in there is what the client wants, like, but specifically, you know, three photos, one real, one stop motion video and, um, a recipe mm-hmm. and then set out the price for it, set mm-hmm. out the due date when, when it's expected. Um, if it's going to all be licensed, which it should be, um, or most of it anyway, put in the term so that it's clear right there. And even where the client can use whatever you're giving them. So if it's for, you know, if the reel is for all social media platforms, I wouldn't even say all social media platforms. Get specific. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, spell it out so that there's no issue down the line. And you're Um, saying put put it all in the proposal. All this goes into the proposal. Yeah, I would put all that stuff because that that's the nitty gritty. That's Mm. what they really want to know. They want to know what are you giving me and how much am I paying you? That's Mm. all they care about at the beginning. Mm. And once you have that agreed upon, then you can kind of go back and forth on, on the terms of the contract. And, you know, some people do it different ways. Some people will send a proposal, they'll come to an agreement on that, and then they'll kind of maybe copy and paste whatever was in the proposal and put it into the contract. Right. Um, and then rip up the proposal and have one document. Mm-hmm. I don't like that because there's room for human error and it makes me nervous. Mm-hmm. I like having a proposal that the parties agree to. I then attach that to the contract and I incorporate it into the contract. So it becomes part of it. So kind of like it's the real core business terms of the contract are the proposal and everything else is in the front part of the contract, all the legal stuff and everything else. That stuff can get negotiated later or simultaneously it depends on the client and again you got to use your gut you got you right. know you know these people you're interacting with them um you get a sense of their urgency maybe they just want to get this done so you give them the proposal together with your contract and try to just bang it all out really quickly i mean you got to read the situation there might be reasons to kind of hold off on getting the contract out there maybe you, they're being very um yeah 
you know, aggressive in negotiating exactly what you're going to do for them, the proposal. So, you know, you just got to go with your gut. But I like, I like the idea of spelling out some of the most important things in the proposal itself. I think I once had a client and she came back and she said that she was not comfortable with the license fee. So wherever I had listed down, you know, where they had the license of use, she said, oh, can we tweak it down to maybe these four things versus the eight places that you've mentioned in the proposal? And I said, no, because you can't, you know, no one's going to be able to chase and do this and that. And so I showed her the value of what it would be and how it is very difficult for a food photographer to really bring it down to four versus eight. I know I'm talking very vaguely and in a broad term, but what it means is that I did specify it in the proposal right where we were in negotiating phase. And it was so important. It was so important. If I wouldn't have, yeah. Yeah, no, and good for you. I mean, that that's what you got to do. You got to kind of, in a very nice, respectful way, get in their face and explain it to them. Because they're, I think, from their end, they have a budget and they've got to comply with that. So that's yeah. really what they're thinking about. So you've got to sell the value of, you know, there's a method to the madness and how a food photographer works and, you know, why there has to be so many of anything and where it should go. And that's well thought out from our end as the creator. And you, I think it's just a matter of education and communication again. So uh, good for you. I mean, that's, I, I think that's the way to go. You got to just get in there and say, no, this is how it's got to be. So I'm going to just recap that. So when, when a food photographer sends out a proposal, it's, it's superb if they can have like the scope of the project kind of outlined, you know, what are they creating and where it's going? How much is the quantity? Like how many number of photos? How many number of reels? And then the last one is what is the fee? Is that right, Rob? Did I cover everything? Yeah. I think those are the most important things to include for a proposal. Um, All right. Yeah. Cool. And how about and, and the, the nice thing too about a proposal is unlike the actual contract, which is like boring, it's just black and white words. Yeah. You can, you know, slap your logo on the proposal, dress it up a little bit. You know, I think that's a nice marketing tool that we have that just to yeah. get your, be, be remembered and get the proposal out there. So yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So how about recipes? Because you have also, you've worked with brands and you know, oftentimes food photographers not just create photos, but they create recipes for brands. How how does that need to be spelled out? Like, is there ownership of recipes? Is it spelled out separately? Is it all packed as one scope of work? How does it work when a photographer is creating both photos and recipes? So I'm first going to say, again, it depends. It depends how you want to word it. From a legal perspective, you know, with a photograph, there's copyright law that attaches to it the second you press the button. So you own that as a matter of law. There's no such protection for recipes under the law. Mm. So that's another incredibly important reason why you should have a contract. Hmm. Um, you know, I think there's law all over the place. Just, I can tell you, even just in the state of New York. So I have to imagine that basically everywhere there are similar laws all over the place and what a court might do with it with respect to recipes. I think without having anything in writing, there could be arguments both ways as to who owns it. And let's avoid that. I mean, we don't want to have disputes and we want to spell it all out. So, you know, I think nine times out of 10, the brand wants to own the recipe for whatever reason. And I mean, for my purposes, I don't care. Yeah. If I create a recipe <laughs> for them with for their product, then hmm. okay, good luck. Like, enjoy it. 
But there are nuances to that, and there are exceptions. If they're going to do a sponsored post on my blog, then you know I would write in there that we both own it jointly. Um, mm. Because we both want, you know, it's I created, it's living in both places. There might be situations where you want to say, you know what, this is my recipe. I own it, and I'm going to license it to you just as if it were a photo. And some brands will just say, okay, because as long as they get the use of it, they might not care. So, you know, I generally give them ownership of the recipe because it's an easy give to me, um, just for negotiation purposes and whatnot. So, but it can be really be done in so many different ways. It's also such a. I feel like it's a bit of a slippery road. <laughs> I mean, you can tweak it just a little bit, and then it's a different whole different recipe, right? Then well, that's I mean, <laughs> and that's just it. I mean, under in the United States, under the copyright law, mm. you can't copyright the ingredients, and it's mm. very difficult, but not impossible, to okay. copyright the instructions to a recipe. But that's separate because if you have a contract that says something else, yeah. then you have a binding agreement as to who owns what it can use it. So, I mean, if, if you're going to say that you co-own it and you can both use it for any purpose, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like with recipes, like because you can't, like just as you said, like people can tweak a little thing here or there, and it's like acceptable and okay and whatever. So you know, someone else is going to probably copy that recipe right. anyway and put it yeah. on their blog. <laughs> yeah. So, and you can't stop that from happening. So that's why I don't get too hot and bothered about ownership of recipes yes. because it's just different. It's a very different area of law. Unless it's your grandmother's recipe and you really need to safeguard it, then you go all in. Yeah. <laughs> But otherwise, exactly. all right. Photos are, um, I would say, higher premium asset. You know, that is... Um, I guess protecting that is far more important for a food photographer than recipes. Is that right to say would, or not? Yeah, I think that's right. But it's not. You know, I think there, there's a difference there. But I think financially, you should be charging for both of them. And I would mm. set those out. What are you charging for each one? I mean, I charge. I would charge a certain fee for the recipe and a certain fee for the photographs and the video and all that. I mean, it's a different set of. Prices that I would I would put out there because it's it's different skills that are being used. But if we just talk in like a very broad sense, the typical you know just typically what is done is who owns like what happens to the recipes? Do the photographers get to continue to use their recipes, or does the brand usually own the recipes? Uh, what's the usual trend? I would ask. I think the usual trend is that um, from what I've seen, and I mean you tell me if you see anything differently, but from what I've seen. Um, it's usually the brand gets the ownership of it because I just find that, like, for me, when I've done it for brands, I don't care. Like, I created this recipe, I spent time on it, but you know what? You're paying me for it. Have it. I, I don't care. Right. But whereas with the with the photograph, like, I have a legal right to own that without any discussion to start out with. So I use that more as leverage to try and, and get paid more for the license fees for that. For the recipe itself, I want to get paid for it, but it's not as urgent to me. Mm -hmm. I also think that there's one very important point because you said that you know, in my experience, I've seen actually two different things. So when I create recipes for a magazine versus when I create recipes for a food brand, then the ownership is very different. So for a food brand, obviously, it is their product, and so they would like to own it. That would becomes their recipe. But when I'm creating something for a magazine, it's not really focused on one particular product, and so right. that way we co-own the recipe. So yeah, is that your experience as well? 
Uh, yeah, and I think that's a very that's a a great exception to it. I mean, because there are other places a food photographer and recipe developer might be selling or licensing recipes, and I think you know, in print magazine is like a huge. That's a whole other market, you know. And there could be situations where it's not just for a particular brand or product, but it could be for a restaurant that mm. they want something done. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that that could happen too if a restaurant hires a food photographer to come in and maybe also develop something that they can put on their website and give a recipe away. So, right. you know, all of that can happen. I And I that's why the contract's so important. Mm. I mean, you got to spell it out that you're both going to co-own it. Co-own it. Awesome. So let's talk about the license, uh, Rob. We have so many different kind of licenses. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not the lawyer. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, where there are different kinds of licenses that can be granted to clients, right? So can you tell us what are the different kinds and or how you would categorize them? There is a whole host of legal words that are used that make this so nuanced. And I can't say it's one-stop shopping for a food photographer. I think you need to think through what your client actually wants and what they're paying you for. So I'll just give you a handful of terms. Mm-hmm. So one is exclusivity, which would mean, can you as the food photographer, you own the copyright to it, you're giving a license. Are you giving them an exclusive license mm-hmm. or a non-exclusive license? Are they going to be the only ones you license it to? Or will you have the ability to license it out to other parties? Um, you know, say you did a photograph that had a particular flower brand and also a particular chocolate chip brand and you use it for the flower brand, the chocolate chip brand sees it when it gets posted on Instagram. It's like, oh, wow, can we use that photo? Well, it really now depends. I mean, it depends on you whether or not you want to engage with them and see if they'll pay you for it. But you have to go back and look at your contract with the flower brand. Did you give them an exclusive license or not? So that's an important thing to think about. You want to think about whether or not you want to limit the license. And by limit, I mean both in terms of of time and in scope. So is the amount of time that they can use the images for limited in any, say say you took photographs for um, holiday cookies Mm. and you're going to give them a license to use it on social media for October, November, and December of a particular year. Is that just for one year? Is that perpetual for all years going forward? Or is it just for a couple of years? You got to spell it all out. Right. Um, and also limited in terms of how, how they can use it. Is it just for social media? Can they also use it on their website? Um, are they going to use it in print anywhere? It all needs to get spelled out. Maybe you want to include the word revocable. Maybe if they fail to pay your fee, maybe it's an ongoing payment and they haven't paid, you want to have the right to revoke the license because they've now breached your contract and they haven't paid. Mm. That's something to think about too. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it transferable? Whatever license you're giving them, can they sub-license it out to someone else? Um, You know, That's something you want to be careful of whether or not they can or they can't. So there's so many issues to consider here. And I, I... I can't turn this into a primer yeah. on licensing yeah, law, yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, there's there's a ton of words to look for. But the thing that I want to make clear to everyone is mm-hmm. if you're presented with a contract from a client and you see words that come before the word license, look them up. I mean, mm. words have their ordinary plain English meaning. So look them up and see what they mean so that you can get an idea. What is this client trying to get from me? know what you're signing. I mean, I can't drive that point home enough. 
Right. Especially if it says exclusive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But also the fee, when we talk about the fee, it varies so much based on the license. So like you said, if it's for print, if it's going on a billboard, if it's going to be in a TV commercial, if it's only going on social media. I mean, there are so many different kinds of license that are granted, you know, places that they can use. And do you think the fee varies according to that? There are so many factors that drive the fee. And mm. from what I've seen, I think a lot of food photographers are, are tight-lipped about what they charge. And so I don't know that any one of us really knows exactly what most people are charging out there. Right. But that said, I think, and this is really just as a business owner, you need to think about what you're doing and where you're doing it. So there are so many factors that drive the fee. You know, the term of the license, meaning how long that they'll have use of it. But also geographically, where are you located? Mm-hmm. Um, your cost of living, that comes into play. I mean, this is your job. Like you, you need to get paid so that you can live. And that's an important factor to consider. Don't give away the store necessarily. I mean, maybe there's a great opportunity. Maybe it's a big brand. It would look really good. So you might charge a little less than usual. There are always exceptions, but there are so many considerations here as to what you're licensing for, how long and you know, what benefit are they gaining? Yeah. They're going to profit from whatever you're doing. They're using it for marketing, for advertising. So there's money there. Make sure you get paid what you're worth. Right. But there is no, uh, do you think there is like a golden rule? Like, would you charge more for something that goes on a TV commercial versus something that Absolutely. goes just on social media, right? Because they're paying more to, to, to have a commercial air on television. So it's higher uh, value content. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. If they've got pockets deep enough for that, they can shell out a little more money for you. <laughs> ah, yes, of course. <laughs> All right. So, and how do you, how do you suggest that the fee should be spelt out or included in the project? Do you think that it is something that should be just shown as an overall cost? Hey, this is my quote based on da-da-da-da-da requirements, or do you think it should really be spelled out? Okay, here's what the fee for the photography is, and here's what the licensing looks like. Do you think they should be separated out, or should it be built in as an overall figure? I said it before and I'm going to say it again. Yeah. It depends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I can see situations where you just want to give an overall fee and just say it's all included. Right. And I like doing that for a smaller job. It's just easier. And I think the client appreciates that. But I think if you're doing a bigger job, it makes so much more sense to spell it all out and get really detailed. Because think about it. Let's use that example again. You create a, a recipe and photos and video and all that jazz for holiday cookies. And the client wants it for October, November, December to, to get out there in social media and on their website. Great. And then what happens six months later when they call you and say, hey, listen, that was amazing. It was such beautiful work you did. We appreciate it so much. We really want to use those images again for the next year. So now you've got to decide what the license fee is. If you have that already broken out for them, they mm-hmm. already know what it is. And it just makes life a lot easier. Um, so I think it's so important to think it all out. Just like I said, the contract kind of tells a story and gives a roadmap for your relationship. So does the proposal and whatever it is that you're going to provide to them and the fees they're going to pay to you. I think the more specific you can get, the more advantageous it is to both parties. So... 
Generally, I'm a very big proponent of getting very detailed. But as I said at the beginning, there are exceptions. Mm, yeah. And and I'll I'll tell you a little bit about the exception. So way, way back when I had just started my food photography career business, I actually had an offer from a Michelin star restaurant to shoot for them. And I went ahead and I broke down my fee as, okay, here's photography, here's licensing, blah, 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 blah. And it totally, it just went the opposite way. <laughs> so again, you said, like you said, it depends on the clients, you know? So you got to read your audience. <laughs> yes. It, it just did not jive with them. They wanted one figure. They didn't want to get into the specifics. They were like, just tell me what it'll cost me, you know? And on the other hand, I had another big, big, big client here in Singapore, and they just wanted everything broken down. It was really, you know, is it going in eight different places? And what is your license? We were talking like within like hundreds of dollars, how it's broken down. So you're so right to say that, you know, it really depends. And also, I think the size of the client matters, whether you're working with an agency, whether you're working with a boutique food product brand, whether you're working for a restaurant on a one-on-one you know, -on -one basis, there is no middle person involved. I think there's so many things that really uh, matter in how you position your fee, I guess, right? Fantastic. Absolutely. Rob, let's talk about at what point. So I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. Like that was definitely one of my mistakes. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, um, at what point do you think photographers should really bring up this topic of rights and license? Because photographers hate it. <laughs> we just want to talk about all the creative stuff, all the beautiful stuff. Oh, I'm going to bring this and I'm going to do this. And here are the props I'm going to use. But, you know, when we start talking about license, it's not always an easy conversation. So what do you suggest? At what point should this come up? I mean, listen, uh, it's business and it's negotiation and it's never ever comfortable. And I actually think that's kind of a good thing because if you're uncomfortable, they are too. Mm. And I think you got to remember that because I've been there too. And not just with my own food photography negotiations, but just representing clients in all walks of life. It's a game. It's a tug of war. And you know, you got to come to a happy medium. So I think you got to be very, and by you, I mean, all food photographers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, I think again, you got to read your client. That being said, I think the best time to broach it is in the proposal. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're setting forth everything. And there might be some discussions beforehand. I mean, some, you know, say they have a Zoom meeting with you or they call you on the phone, they have an initial conversation just to get the lay of the land. You might bring it up there, but read your audience and, and see if they want to know, like if, if you if you suspect they might want something more than just a license and whatnot. But otherwise, I just put in the proposal. I mean, if you're stating in your proposal, the cost per image is whatever, that includes pre and post production and all that great stuff. And you have a separate line item for license. Hmm. It's pretty clear that you're only licensing the images. You're not selling it to them. Hmm. So I mean, I think that that's another reason why I like getting very specific in the proposal, because right at the outset, it's clear as day that this is to, to get license rights only, not ownership rights. So, I mean, that's an easy way of kind of broaching the subject without actually saying anything about it. And mm. if they come back to you and say, oh, well, listen, we thought we'd own it. That's when you have that conversation and say, well, why do you think you need to own it? And, you know, hopefully you can convince them you don't need that and you're getting a license. That's all you're getting. So deal with it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I think the proposal is 
The proposal is such a great tool because A, as I said before, you can slap your logo on there, little marketing, make it look pretty. But B, it kind of just gets out the core parts of your relationship. And mm. it sets it out right there that you're getting a license, you're getting these images, this video, this recipe, this is what you get, this is the cost you're paying, and it's right there. That's not mm -hmm. to say there won't be negotiation. There very well may be, and there probably should be. But at least you get it out there at the outset. You're only getting license rights. Right. And I think also from a mindset point of view, if we are running a business, if we are getting hired for a service, then we kind of have to buckle up and have these tough conversations. And they can be gentle, they can be polite, they can be friendly, they can be, hey, you know, they can be very conversational. No arm wrestling required for this. <laughs> like, it, really. It, it, like, just, uh, I think that's like the best tip for negotiation. It doesn't need to be adversarial. It can mm -hmm. be very friendly and respectful. And explain your point of view and why things are from your perspective. Listen to them, hear what they say, yeah. and then respond to them. Because, you know, what they're saying could be, they could be off base, but that's your, that's your chance to go in and educate them, especially with respect to ownership. That's when you can really get in there, explain to them, well, what you're really describing to me is licensing yeah. and that's what I'm prepared to give you. So, uh, you know, it, it can be done very, very nicely. But again, that's the point. I think a lot of outside people looking in at food photographers don't appreciate that food photography is actually a business. And mm. as food photographers, we all need to remember it absolutely is. And you're being compensated for it. And the only one who can really advocate for you is you. So you kind of need to buckle up and do it. Yeah. And I always kind of draw a parallel with wedding photographers, I feel like wedding photography has been around for years and they have such a robust business. They work like well-oiled machines. Everything is so set and people look at them, you know, in that professional capacity, they, they know that they're going to come with a contract. This is how it's going to roll. And, you know, so I feel like because food photography is maybe relatively more new compared to wedding photography, I would say. So people are still, like you said, people are still wrapping their head around, okay, this is you know, another robust well, category of business. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's also because food photography is literally behind the scenes. No one sees the food photographer. True, so the so wedding true. photographer, the bride and groom and all the guests are seeing the wedding photographer. So everyone is well aware that there is a wedding photographer actually performing some sort of service. But people, you know, otherwise just see pictures of pretty pictures of food showing up in their Instagram feed. And Absolutely. they don't really they don't think, <laughs> oh, someone took that picture. So true. That is so true. So Rob, you mentioned about educating the client, you know, but I think before we educate the client, it's so important that, you know, we are educated ourselves. And so right now, like we have listeners around the world and not just in the US, we have a ton of listeners in Asia, Singapore, Africa, Europe. So just in a very broad way, can you tell us that when food photographers do want to educate themselves who do they turn to, you know, for specific advice? Like, how do they know that they are drafting the right contract? Like, are there good quality templates available online? Or do they always have to work with lawyers? How do they educate themselves? Tell us that. Let me see if I can break it down. As I said before, I am generally opposed to just buying a form and using it. That being said, if you do buy a form, read it through carefully. Look up the words if you don't understand them. You need to understand every word that's printed in that document. And just because you get a form doesn't mean you need to use it as is. 
tweak mm. it, rewrite it, get it to be where you want it to be. But to that end, yeah, I mean, the best way to do it is to hire a lawyer. Um, I don't know that there are too many lawyers experienced specifically with food photography at this point, but you really just need a lawyer who's experienced in drafting contracts. If you can find someone in the creator space, I think that's even better. Okay. Someone who's represented other creators, graphic designers, and maybe wedding photographers. That I think that translates very well. And you can educate the lawyer as to exactly what it is that you do and what you're looking for in a contract, the things that you want to make sure you're protected and how things are supposed to play out. That said, I have Googled it all over. And yeah. <laughs> I have not found a form agreement for food photographers, Ooh. which was sort of the, one of the emphases for me to create this course. Um, because again, I'm not just about, here's a form, go use it, food photographer, good luck, because I don't think that's useful. I think that mm. could actually hurt a food photographer more, because I think someone might just rely on a form and not really understand what it means. Whereas if you go to a lawyer and, and work with them and understand it, all the better. But that's why I have this course out there where I really, I created a form template of suggested clauses and, and sections and words, but that doesn't mean it's, you know, it's printed in stone. Right. It can be changed. And I'm, I encourage everyone in my class, look at what it says. If this doesn't work for you, you need to modify it, but you need to understand what it all means. And in my course, I go through literally every word in that agreement and explain what everything means. Because if you don't understand the agreement, you shouldn't sign it. Mm, and if you don't absolutely. understand it, then talk to a lawyer so that you do understand it or can negotiate before you sign it. But I've seen many people just sign. And listen, there are people out there, I know especially there are a lot of wedding photographers out there who say, oh, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never had a contract and I've never had a problem. I mean, that's great. Like to them, I say, great. In my head, I'm thinking, well, whoop de do. That just means you've been very fortunate that there hasn't been an issue that's arisen. But that's what a contract is there for, to protect yeah. and to guide in the event that something does come up. And you never know, like life is not predictable. Anything can happen. So that's why you need a good contract. So it's not just to protect you, it's to protect both sides. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I think you said something so interesting. It's like insurance, right? You don't see the immediate value of it. You feel like, oh, I don't need it. Nothing's happened. I'm so healthy, you know, but then it happens and you're like, oh gosh, thank God, <laughs> you know? It's so, so funny you said that because that's an analogy. I'm always, I'm always on the fence as to whether or not I want to use it. Oh no. It is, no, no, but I'm glad you brought it up because now we can talk about it. Um, okay. So I'm always on the fence about using that because, you know, insurance is different from a contract, but yeah, I mean, I think it really is a, a, a thoughtful analogy because you're going to spend a little bit of money to get a contract, mm -hmm. no matter how you do it. To, and you want it to be well-drafted. Listen, if you spend like $99 on a form contract, I think you're wasting money. So whatever it costs, spend it to get a good form and work from that so you fully understand it. You're investing in protecting your business. I mean, that's what it is. And unlike insurance that you pay for every year and you pay a premium and whatnot, it should be or could be a one kind of one time fee, which you might have issues come up and all the more reason to have a lawyer to work with so that 
say you, you know, you've worked with a lawyer, you've come up with a form and you're very happy with it. That's great. And it's working well for you. But then a client comes in out of nowhere and it's a big client. They're going to pay you a lot of money, but they want other verbiage in there. So bring your lawyer in. You're going to get paid money for that. Like you protect yourself. I mean, that's what it's all about. It is sort of that kind of insurance because the truth is without it, if a dispute arises, it's going to cost you at least 10 times more than it would have cost you to have a good contract. Mm. I know you, you, you mentioned get a lawyer like so many times and I can just hear this in my ear, like the whole food photography community being like, fee, fee, money. <laughs> How much will it cost to get a lawyer? You know, I can just hear this in my ear right now because that would definitely be my concern. I don't have 20 people in my team. I'm a solopreneur. My business is a small business and to hire a lawyer, leave alone having a lawyer constantly uh, available, like for advice, I don't know if I can afford it, you know, and I think that is, I'm not suggesting that you need a lawyer to review every single agreement. I mean, I think that would be a very, very rare instance, but I think to get a good working form together. You know, in the first instance, that's kind of why I'm coming out with this class. I'm giving you a form to work from. You're going to understand what mm. all the words mean. I think that's a very good starting point. And it's it's much more affordable than hiring a lawyer to start, have them start from scratch. But if you take my class, you end up with this form, you understand what it means. If there are other things that come up in your business and you want to, you know, uh, you want to uh, um, make sure that that's provided for in your contract, that's a good time to bring in a lawyer to just add those revisions in if you're not comfortable and you want to make sure that it's done, you know, it, and that'll be enforceable at the end of the day. But that being said, you might be able to just write that in yourself too. You know, that's that's kind of the spirit of my class. This is really learning about what all the words mean and how mm-hmm. to put it all together. I'm not suggesting you need a lawyer every time you sign the contract. I mean, that would bankrupt anyone. Mm-hmm. Um but for one-off situations that arise, if a really big client comes to you and they're paying you a lot of money, you might want to have a lawyer just take a look at it, which frankly, I mean, these contracts, I mean, they're not that long. Yeah. If you're, if you're selling a huge business, a contract could be 20, 40, hundreds of pages. We're talking about a contract that's a few pages. It shouldn't yeah. take yeah. a lawyer more than an hour to really review this. So that's another consideration is, you know, people get nervous about hiring a lawyer and whatnot, but yeah. you know, talk to the lawyer too. You can you can say, listen, I can't spend more than X number of dollars. So I'm going to authorize you to spend two hours on this tops with the hope that you can do it in one mm. and see where it goes. I mean, you know, you got you to talk to your lawyer and see, right. and see what you can do. And do you think like, let's say someone's just starting out, you know, they're in the first year of their food photography business, they've put in a contract together and they hire a lawyer. To really go through that contract, do you think that this could be a session where they get educated, you know, in person by the lawyer, the lawyer goes through their contract, really educates them, hey, this is what you need to look out for and really empowers them in that uh, time, whatever that allocated time is, so that moving forward, they are, you know, at least in a better place to be able to tweak their contracts and move forward if they cannot have someone, you know, on an ongoing or periodic basis. Do you think it could be something like a one-time investment and in, in hiring it, a lawyer. So it could be. And again, as I said before, it depends. <laughs> I mean, there are several factors there. I mean, yes, that could work. And I actually did have a food photographer come to me the very beginning of when she started her business. Um, I put together her contract for her and we went over it. We spent like an hour and a half on the phone going through 
everything. And I explained how it all works and whatnot. And it's been a couple of years and she seems to be working well for her. So that's great. Yeah. Oh, wow. But okay, I, that's, yeah. I, I did that kind of as a favor and I did it for a set fee. And so it was very affordable for her. Mm. So again, it depends on the lawyer and what the lawyer is willing to do. I mean, if you're paying a lawyer and a lawyer only charges hourly rates, you're, I mean, to go through and talk through the contract, it could be a couple hours, let yeah. alone reviewing it on his or her own and, you know, making sure there are nothing they want to add to it or whatnot. So, you know, that could be several hours of time. And if they're charging by the hour, that adds up quickly. So mm. that's, again, that's kind of one of the reasons why I, not to push my course, but that's why <laughs> I, I developed this course. <laughs> All right, Rob. So we talked about license and ownership, and we talked about proposal, and we talked about lawyers, and we talked about fee. But let's talk about social media. We never pay attention or enough attention to social media. We're all putting our content out there. But are there legal considerations? Are there things that we should be looking out for when we are posting our our photos and our recipes out on social media? What do you think? Absolutely. So there's actually two things to look at. So first of all, let's just get it out there. All of us, I mean, myself included, we all just post and we tag and we hashtag and we do it because we want to be found and be seen and be searchable. And that's great. And I I don't want to suggest that you shouldn't be doing that. What I do want to suggest is that you educate yourself. So first of all, look at the platforms you're doing all of that, where you're posting everything, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Pinterest, whatever it is, look at their terms. Generally, I think what their terms say aren't offensive to us as creators and food photographers because they want us. I mean, they, they want, they want us to feel at home on their platform. So it shouldn't be an issue, but you should read it. There might be something in there you're not comfortable with for a particular post. That's one thing. The bigger thing is to look at which hashtags and which brands are you tagging because they might have some clever way of trying to assert rights or actual ownership over the materials that you're associating with those hashtags or just by tagging them. And I've seen it actually on Instagram. Some businesses have actually put verbiage in their bio that use of their hashtag or by tagging them, you're giving consent for them to repost whatever you've posted. Look at it. Look at what they have on Instagram, but take it a step further because it gets even murkier. Look at the brand's website. See what their terms and conditions say on there. While I do not think it's enforceable for a number of reasons, some brands out there, and I'm talking big brands, have in their terms and conditions on their website that by using a hashtag that they use for their brand, you're giving them permission to not just use it, but to profit from whatever you've associated with that hashtag, that they have the rights to create derivative works from them, that they can sell them, sublicense them. They're profiting from that. So my point there is educate yourself. There are some big time companies out there that we all have hashtagged and people use them regularly. Think about it. Go look them up. Literally all of them. So most of them, I think, are pretty legit and mm-hmm. they aren't trying to overstep. But some of them in their terms and conditions put that language in. 
I don't think as a matter of law that if there were an actual litigation that those brands would win. They own the rights to their website and what goes on there. That's their house. Mm -hmm. They own it. That's fine. If you're posting directly on their website, their rules will apply. That makes sense. I don't see how their rules can dictate who owns or can use what on a social media platform, especially if that user, if the food photographer has never even gone to the website right. for any reason and never posted anything, yet they're just using the hashtag on that social media platform. But there are words in those terms and conditions on certain companies' websites. You need to educate yourself. So that's really the point here. Don't just willy-nilly go tag and hashtag because you think that's going to be really advantageous for you. Yeah, It might be. You might gain lots of followers. Yeah. But you might also be in someone else's world under their own made-up rules on their website. They mm. might think that they now have permission to go and profit from whatever you just associated with that hashtag. And that's not really fair. So yeah. think about it and read what they say and think about whether or not you really want to use a particular hashtag or tag a particular brand. Right. And I'll say that I definitely don't take the time to go onto a brand's website and to really read their, you know, fine print. It's, yeah, it's mostly, you know, for exposure, to get featured. But I can say that almost every food photographer, you know, even if we look at like in the smallest way, we have had our photos used where we didn't want them. You know, someone's used them without credit. Someone's used them without permission. Somebody's put them on a platform that we didn't want to be in. So that's in a very small way. And imagine if someone takes complete ownership of them without our permission, I guess. I, I can really see that. And then that profits from it on top of it. Yeah, there I you mean, go. Oh my God. But I will say there, you know, there are a lot of very, very like really good mm -hmm. brands out there that will contact you because you tag them and right. they'll say, you know, do we have permission? And that's wonderful. And it's it's great for the food photographer because there's a dialogue going on. They're asking for your consent. They're getting it in writing through a DM. And yeah. that's great. That benefits everyone. And it's it's very transparent. And they usually say, can we post this with your permission? And that's all they're doing. They're not going to use it and try and sell it. And um, you know, I think that's there are some good brands out there, but that's the point. You don't know until you read the fine print to know who the good ones are and who the kind of you right. know, not so good ones are. <laughs> Oh, man, what a conversation, Rob. Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I think we're all set to wrap up now. But before we do that, Rob, you've mentioned your course so many times, and I feel like it can be of such good value to our listeners. You know, so tell us a little bit more about the course, who can register, who it's for, and when it's going to be available. Sure. So the company name that I created is Contract Legal Ease, E-A-S-E. Um, that's the Instagram handle for it. And that's also the domain where you can find the course. Um, <clears throat> the course really, it takes you through a template contract for food photographers. It's only for food photographers. At the end of the day, you get a form you can use. But throughout the class, I'm going through literally word for word, explaining what it all means, how it all works. Um, I'm giving you some negotiation tips along the way, how to leverage certain language to your advantage and how to talk to the client about some of these issues. I'm also including a form for a proposal, a form for an amendment. Sometimes you want a formal written amendment to the contract if things change down the line. So I'm including that also. And there's also going to be a couple other bonus sections on social media, like we were just discussing, and some other things on copyright and trademark. 
So I'm giving you a, a whole lot of kind of legal education on a lot of material. My hope is that people will find it very useful, that they will have a form they can work from, but more importantly, that they'll be educated enough so that if they're presented with a contract from a client, they can take that, read it, understand it, and negotiate and advocate for themselves. That's my real goal. And my goal is not to give you a form to use. Those are a dime a dozen. You need to understand what the words mean and how to use them and negotiate for yourself. So that's really what the course is about. It's in like a pre-launch phase now, only because I still have to finish two more bonus units. So I expect to have it all fully out there in the next couple of weeks. And for just for your listeners, I want to offer a discount code of $50. That code is MFL for my food lens, 50. It'd be $50 off the price. That'll be up there too. Feel free to use that code um, whenever you decide to make a purchase. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for that, Rob. I'm, I'm sure that our listeners are going to really find this helpful, especially because this can be such a slippery road. Really, it can, it can be nothing or it can turn into something so big. So the importance of contracts is definitely a bit undervalued right now. But I'm sure after this conversation, that's not how everyone will feel about it. And thank you for the discount code. We'll have that linked in the show notes. And Rob, before you go, can you please share your social media handles with our listeners so they know where to find you? Absolutely. And before we do that, I should just say, putting my lawyer hat on, that anything I've discussed here is really for educational purposes only. I am a lawyer, but I'm I'm not your lawyer. I'm not anyone listening. I'm not your lawyer. I'm I'm just providing education here and nothing I say should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, my class that I'm offering, again, educational purposes. The handle for that is Contract Legalese on both Instagram and Facebook, Ease, E-A-S-E. And that's also the domain for the class itself. And my recipe blog, which is just so y'all know, it's all pastry. I went to school for pastry arts because I love carbs and anything sweet. And that's all I really make. (laughs) Um, So that is cinnamon shtick. And that's also the domain and the handle for Instagram and Facebook and also on Pinterest. Fantastic. Thank you, Rob, for being here. Thank you for educating us. Thank you for telling us what to look out for. Thank you for sharing so much, so much good, valuable information and your wisdom with us. And thank you for giving us a peek into your very interesting world of food and law. It was such a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you so much. The pleasure was all mine. This was so fun. And I cannot thank you enough for having me as a guest on your podcast. So that was Robin. Wasn't this just a fantastic, like such an enlightening conversation, right? I feel like at least I had these questions, you know, when I was starting out, when I was just building a career, when we are all just starting our business in food photography, we kind of tend to overlook the side just because we're like, okay, let's get our next client. Let's focus on, you know, what our fee is. But really, this is such an integral part of running a business because look at all other businesses, look at everything that is around you from the smallest to the biggest. No one, no one functions without a contract. So why should we, right? We are a business and we need to know what our rights are, what we authorize, what works for us and how we can protect our work and our intellectual property. So I thought this conversation with Rob was very interesting and I loved how we covered everything from food brands to social media to even hiring a lawyer and to understanding fee and whether it is worth the investment or not. And I hope that you had some solid, solid takeaways from this episode. 
because it is pretty darn important and I can't emphasize that enough. All right. So if you enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. That's my request every single time. All right. With that, I'll see you next time. Until then. Bye bye.